Everybody, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about Jesus as the gift. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I simply want to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I know that for a lot of you, the celebration of the holidays looks very different this year. But as the old cliche goes, Jesus is the reason for the season, and I do hope that you will have a good Christmas as you celebrate his birth and a really happy new year as you're reminded, I hope, about uh, how God gives us new beginnings. So with that in mind again, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I'm so thankful for all of you who listen to this podcast. Again, thanks for listening to this sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Hi, everybody. Good morning. I'm Chad, uh, the pastor of this church. I'm happy to be with you today. And I want to start. I don't normally start with an announcement, but uh, I think there is an announcement good enough uh, to start with today. And that is, uh, you know, we, we talked about how our church needs money, and we're doing fine. I should, I should say that. Uh, we still need money to come in, but we're doing fine. But uh, on the very brightest side, is our church has demonstrated incredible generosity through the last year, and especially you know this this month in the last month. And uh, you've done that by you know donating the people who are able. And I know not everybody's able. This is not a guilt trip. I'm just saying like the people who have been able have been have given to this fund, and we've been able to help. Uh, people pay bills, fix cars, uh, take care of doctor things, um, and we've not even advertised that that this fund is available to give to, and it, it keeps you know it keeps having money in it. And so I want to thank God for that, and thank you who are able to do that for for how you've been you know consistent and faithful in that. We've we've helped people, um, but even more specifically, uh, just two weeks ago we we said. Uh, Hey, there's a group of people who are are kind of forgotten about this time of year, uh, and that is teenagers who are in foster care. If you think about all the types of of Christmas, you know, things that you can do that are charitable, right? They're they're usually aimed at making sure that little kids have presents, right? That's what we think about. But teenagers, especially teenagers in the foster care system, are often forgot forgotten about. Uh, we just, we don't even think about that. And, and so we, we connected to, uh, we have been connected to an organization called, called Embrace Oregon that's now Every Child PDX. And they work with uh, another organization to provide, they, their goal is to provide every single teenager in the foster care system uh, with a $10 gift card for Christmas. And, and I, I, you know, uh, kind of unilaterally just said, you know what, this is what's on my heart and my mind. I'm going to set a goal for us to give $1,000 worth of gift cards. We have you know, two weeks. Uh, we're going to put out one video, and we're just going to set the goal at $1,000, uh, which is you know, about a quarter of their total need. It's about a quarter of every, uh, you know, every dollar that would be needed for this, this thing to work, for every, every teenager to get a gift card. And uh, because of your generosity and, and God's grace, we, we actually, we brought in $1,050 worth of, of uh, gift cards. Yes, it's huge. It's huge. And, and uh, you know, on top of that, the goal for the organization as a whole, every, every single teenager in the Portland metro area that's in foster care will get a $10 gift card this year. And I feel so good about that because, 
As we've said, you know, a lot of times here, one of the groups we felt just most sad for, I think, uh, in our leadership at this church is, is teenagers right now who, you know, they're being told if they hang out with friends that they're going to kill grandma, and yet, you know, they're depressed when they're not hanging out with friends, and uh, a third of, my dad used to work for the Salem-Kaiser School District, a third of all, of all students in the Salem-Kaiser School District are failing right now. And so we have, we've just felt awful for students and what they're feeling with. And, 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 you know, couple that with, with the dynamic of being in foster care. And so anyway, I, I want to celebrate that, but I also want to continue to ask that you pray for, for students and, and specifically students that, that are in foster care. And, and you know, as I, as I bring all that up, I'm going to segue now. We do think a lot about gifts and giving this time of year, and I think that that is very good. And today, what I want to share is is not unique in any way. And in fact, I would say that what I'm a, this is going to be one of the most cliche points to a sermon that I've ever offered. Uh, it is incredibly cliche. And that is this, the gift that keeps on giving is Jesus. That's really bad, right? The gift that keeps on giving is Jesus. But I think the way in which we're going to see that cliche point come forward in our passage in Romans today is really important. And then I would say far from being just a cliche idea that we all kind of know Jesus is the reason for the season or whatever. And today we're going to look at Romans 5, 12 through 15. And in this passage, we're going to see an extension of what we saw last week in Romans 5, 1 through 11. If we stand in grace, this is my words, summarizing Romans 5, 1 through 11. If we stand in grace, we can celebrate in certainty, celebrate in suffering, and celebrate in our Savior. And now what Paul's going to do is he kind of slightly transitions his writing in the book of Romans. He's going to tell us really the deeper reasons that we're able to celebrate in the midst of all of those things, whether good or bad, we can celebrate because of now what Paul is really going to dive deeply into in Romans 5, 12 through 15. It's an interesting passage, uh, the whole paragraph really from five twelve of the book of Romans to verse 26 is really interesting because some people see it as like is one of the greatest theological statements, and other people see it as kind of a mess that they need to explain. But I think the New International Commentary on the New Testament, it gives us a little bit of the weight of the importance of what we're about to read. It says, this passage rivals Romans 3, 21 through 26 for theological importance, and this is the important part to you, and paints a broad brush stroke of redemption. That canvas is human history and the scope is universal. I mean, I think like that, if that, if you don't feel some weight there, right? I mean, this is about, is about the human nature and, and, and the fall of humanity. And yet the, the universal scope of, of our fallenness and God's desire to redeem us and to bring us into a relationship with himself. And so with all that heaviness in mind, here's how Paul starts. He starts in a really bad place for a Christmas sermon, but we'll have to forgive him. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. I promise that that's not going to be like the main point, but it is such an important point that, that, that sin entered the world through Adam. This is just 
honestly, this is a commonly accepted idea for, for Jewish readers and people who believed the Old Testament, the, the part of the Bible that, you know, I hope you don't ignore too much. People just assumed that Paul was right in this, that, that sin and death entered the world through, through the transgression, as Paul will say later, of Adam. And now here, when, you, when you're reading the smart people, right, then, then it breaks out into this conversation of how Adam's sin transferred to each and every one of us. And that's a really, I think, important theological conversation. That's a great read if you want to take a deeper dive, like how is it that he transferred his sin to us? But I don't think it's really the point of verse 12 at all, that deep dive. I think the point of verse 12 is actually really simple. It's that because Adam sinned, all people have sinned, including you. Adam sinned, and so we know that we are all sinners. And because we are all sinners, we are all destined for death. Now, you need some theological background, and maybe maybe you know this already, but I think, you know, for those that don't, it's really important to back all the way up to the beginning of the book, or the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And in that book, we see the beginning of humanity. God created people, and then we see the fall of humanity. Uh, in Genesis 2.17, God says to Adam and Eve, the people he's created, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then you scoot forward a little bit in the Bible and you read in Genesis 3, 1 through 6 that that's exactly what the people chose to do. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Certainly you will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, When you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The consequences of this sin are stated by God in in verse 19. It says, by the sweat, one of the consequences, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. That's death, right? Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so we see this, this, this thing. I mean, there's Adam and Eve created, not destined for death. Adam and Eve chose to sin, and through that sin, death entered into the world. And we now, who are in the line of Adam, that's what Paul's getting at here, we who follow in the footsteps of Adam simply by being born, we too are destined for death because we too sin. Sin entered the world through Adam and death entered the world through sin and we all have have now been destined for those things because we are in Adam if we're not in Christ. That's Paul's big point here. Now, I would like to point out that while he definitely means physical death, most people agree that he doesn't only mean physical death. He also means spiritual death. And this is, a, this is a difficult thing scripturally because you, you have to make decisions sometimes in the Bible about whether, whether the writers are talking about just dying in the sense that we all think of dying or if they're talking about something bigger, a spiritual death, that really everything that kind of encompasses a life that is separate from God, a life that is, is, uh, is, 
is in slavery, that's the word I'm looking for, not a hard word to think of, in slavery, to sin, a life that, that only has death to look forward to, and ultimately, a life that will be separated from God for eternity. And so Paul means physical death, but he also pretty surely means spiritual death, our, our separation from God, our sinfulness, all of these things that kind of make life bad and, and in some ways make us bad. Now, I wanna, I'm going to stop right here and say sin is really important in Romans 5 through 8. These chapters, Paul talks about sin a lot. And, and if you know me, you know that I'm not the preacher who worries about talking about sin. We talk about sin here. We'll call sins that are sin, sin. Uh, but I'm not going to do it today. I'm not gonna, we're going to dive deeper into the idea of sin later. Uh, but because it's Christmas, we're going we're gonna to leave it for another day because Paul talks about it plenty as we move through Romans 5 through 8, which we're going to do together. For now, let's just simply call sin not doing what God wants you to do or doing what God does not want you to do. Just broad idea of sin. That's what I mean when I say it for today. And Paul is saying, look, we are all in sin and therefore we are all in death. And then he's making this comparison. This is the really interesting part of the passage between Adam and Jesus. But he doesn't really explain the comparison here. He actually, he kicks off to give a comparison and then he ends up contrasting Adam and Paul for several verses. And it's not until verses 18 and 19 that you really see the comparison come back. And and so watch next week our sermon and, and, and you'll You'll, you'll see that comparison, but for now, Paul, Paul launches into this kind of side note. He like, has this parenthetical statement. Here's what he says in verses 13 and 14. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was the pattern, the pattern of the one to come. Now, this is one strange two verses. Like, I spent a bunch of time trying to figure out exactly what, uh, what Paul is even talking about here. And uh, I finally reached out to help some other pastors because even when I would read the smart guys, you know, and they would tell me, I'd be like, I don't, I don't actually know how you got that or what you're talking about here. But there's three, there's just, let me give you the three big points of those two verses here. One, sin existed before the law. And when we talk about the law here, we're talking about what Moses got when he got the Ten Commandments and all the other things that God put into effect for the Israelites. And so Paul is clearly saying sin existed before the law. Paul pretty clearly, you saw it there, says sin is not taken into account where there is no law. That's the part I really struggled with. Like, what does that even mean? And then number three, this is, I'll come back to that, but number three, people still died between Adam and Moses. And so points one and three there, we all are like, sure, like I get that. Sin can exist apart from the law and people died between Adam and Moses. If you've read the Bible at all, then you know that to be true. But the, but the difficult part is, like, what does it mean that sin, you know, it wasn't counted here? We've already used this word, we've already seen the root of this word in our passage of scripture because, or in our, in our study through Romans because Paul has said that in Jesus our sin is not counted against us, but here he's like, you know, before the law it wasn't really counted against you. 
Now, here's, here's kind of my, this is what I came to on my own, so watch out, right? <laughs> like when Chad comes to it on, I actually think this is kind of a setup for what we'll see in chapter 7, and we'll, we'll just look at that briefly next week, but we'll wait. In chapter 7, Paul, Paul really talks about a similar idea in far more depth. Chapter 7, you know, you could call that the sin chapter of the book of Romans, and there he really talks about the connection between sin and law a lot, and and partly what I think here is that Paul is dropping this weird little line in that makes us go like, what are you talking about? I don't understand that at all. Uh, just so that later he can answer that question for us. Uh, a telemarketer is calling me right now. That's <laughs> like so weird. That's never happened during a sermon before. And so partly I think that it's, it's a setup for chapter seven. But one of my pastor friends, he said this, and I think this summarizes it so well. The phrase in verse 13 refers to the fact that the law did not cause sin. It merely codified it. Between Adam and Moses, humanity couldn't be charged with violating some specific commandment. But that doesn't mean that sin wasn't the ruling power in their lives. The proof, they all died. Man, I thought that was so good. That was better than, uh, this guy's probably smart, but, but like all the, you know, the guys that have written books, like all of them didn't make any sense to me, but that made sense. So I'm gonna read it one more time because I, one of my hopes in this series is that you'll just, as we go through Romans, is that you'll just understand Romans and you may not care at all. Like, well, how does this apply to my life? But I just want you to understand it better because it can be difficult. Listen again. The phrase in verse 13 refers to the fact that the law did not cause sin. It merely codified it. Between Adam and Moses, humanity couldn't be charged with violating some specific commandment. But that doesn't mean that sin wasn't the ruling power in their lives. The proof, they all died. And in this, in Adam, this is the reality. No matter whether God would have given us the law or not, we were all sinners and therefore we were all destined for death. And in this way, Adam says, or Paul says about Adam, he was a type of Jesus. A type denotes an Old Testament person, place, or thing, uh, an event even, that really represents or prefigures Jesus and the work that Jesus would do and the kingdom that Jesus would bring into being. That's what a type is, if you ever hear that word. And so uh, this is so weird, right? Like Adam brings sin into the world and he then prefigures, he becomes a type, an example you might say, in some way for Jesus. That's really strange. Like, how are the two connected? But you'll have to, you're gonna have to hold on because he's not going to explain that connection till, until later because again, this is just a weird writing style for Paul here. Instead of, instead of then carrying that idea on and giving us the comparison, then he begins to completely contrast the two, the two, Jesus and Adam. He's like, I'm gonna compare these two and he's like, well, here's, here's how they're not alike. But before we look at that, this is really important. I think this is all set up for really what's at the heart of the next two weeks of sermons, and that's this. We are all in desperate need of the gift that is Jesus. Now, I said, I said, you know, my, it's corny, it's cliche, whatever. The, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. But you're never really going to, you're never going to benefit from the gift, unless you recognize your incredible need for that gift. 
And so Paul wants you to understand that you, like every other person who has ever lived, is in desperate need for the gift that is Jesus because from the time of Adam and Eve who chose to willingly reject what God had called them to do or not called, called them not to do, from the time of Adam and Eve until the day you were born, until right now, every single person, including you, has, has chosen to be to do what God did not want you to do or to not do what God did want you to do. And that means you are a sinner. You are a sinner and your destiny is death. Now, I, I think I would be amiss if I didn't just say that that's scary, right? Like, this is a terrible idea. And, and I think that if, if, you've, you know, if you've grown up in the church, if you, you know, maybe if, you, if you've ever been to church, you can just skip right over that really terrifying idea, like the fear of death and that we are sinners. And you, and you, can, you can pretend that it's not a big deal. But if this is true, right, if, the, if what Paul is saying is true, then, man, we are desperately in need of the gift that is Jesus. And then Paul gets to that gift. He jumps right in. He says in verse 15, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? He's like, hey, Adam is a type, a pattern, a prefiguration of Jesus, but, but Jesus is way better than Adam. That's, that's his broad idea. Jesus is way better than Adam, which, you know, we already knew that. Like, that's so clear. Like, well, Adam brought me death. And if you're a Christian, you're like, Jesus brought me life. But, but what, what Paul does, and we're going to dive more deeply into this next week, what Paul is saying here is that you have two choices. You can be in Adam or you can be in Jesus. You can be in Adam, or you can be in Jesus. You were born in Adam, but you have the right now, because of the grace of God, we'll talk about that in a second, to be in Jesus. If you're in Adam, you're destined for an eternity of death and separation from God, but you don't have to stay in Adam. You can be in Jesus. He has set up this this dichotomy and he said look there are two sides here and you're in one or you're in the other you're in Adam or you're in Christ you're in Adam or you're in Christ you're in grace this isn't the grace side you are in you are in death or you're in grace these are your these are your choices there's no other option for you Adam is a type for Jesus in that 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 in one way, this is one way, he's going to talk about more later, but one way that Adam is a type for Jesus is that if you're in Adam, death, but you also now can be in Christ and that will bring you life, life that lasts forever. And Jesus is better, right? I mean, this is, Paul says this, I think it's important to say one more time. Jesus is better because, because this is so simple. Adam's transgression does not have the power to overcome Jesus' death on the cross and what it offers to us. But Jesus' death on the cross has the power in your life to undo everything that Adam and your sin has caused for you. I think that that is so important. Maybe we intuitively know that, right? We intuitively understand that. Uh, but but what Adam did and what we do because of what Adam did has no power to trump in your life, 
what Christ has done on your behalf. But if you are in Christ, it absolutely just, just ends all of this other bad stuff for you. And then, and then Paul, he, he uses these two words that really show us how great it is to be in Christ. And the first is grace. The first is grace. I told this story last week and it was helpful to people, but, um, but I, I think grace is, is really just simply this. A gift when a punishment is deserved. And if you listened to the sermon last week, forgive me for using this illustration again, but I think it's so important. Uh, a couple of Sundays ago, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, uh, my kids had a rough Sunday. Now, Sundays are hard on my kids right now. We are in this building from 7.45-ish till about 8.30 at night. And so uh, 7.45 a.m. until about 8.30 at night. And so they're, they're ignored. You know, they, they're put in front of a TV for some of that, but we don't let them watch too much TV. And so I'm just telling you that to give them the excuse here. But they, they're usually awesome. My kids are rock stars. We talk all the time about how we couldn't do this ministry effectively if they weren't as awesome as they are. And they're, they're great. Uh, and they know that. But a couple Sundays ago, not so good. We'll just say it that way. Not so good. Everything was an argument and everything was a fight. And we had a, we had a struggle. It was a struggle. And our whole family struggled a couple of Sundays ago to be nice to each other, to, to do things that we should be doing. And, and the night was over. It was like 8.30. And we're driving home. And I didn't say this when I gave this illustration last week. But really, I, I really just wanted ice cream. But I decided to turn this desire for ice cream. I thought, man, it was a long day. I need some ice cream. I decided to turn it into a lesson. And so we're driving home. And I said, you know what? Let's go get ice cream. And then Hazel, my poor daughter, it's so hard to be a pastor's kid. Uh, she, we're driving, and I'm giving this giant lesson on grace. I said, I'm going to turn this into a teaching opportunity for grace. This isn't the first time we've done this. But I said, Hazel, we're going to get ice cream. And do you know why we're getting ice cream? She had heard me say it to Bren Whisper. She's like, oh, grace. I'm like, what is grace? And so we have this long conversation. And basically, I said, look, Hazel, here's the deal. Grace is the fact that I'm giving you ice cream when really you deserve to go to timeout. You know, that's what it is. And when it comes to grace in Jesus, it's simply that, that God offers us eternal life. He offers us joy and hope and peace and love and forgiveness. He offers us an eternity spent with him in heaven where he will give us a victor's crown and just supply us with all of these glorious and fun and awesome things. And he gives it to us despite the fact that we deserve time out, despite the fact that we deserve to be separated from him for eternity, which is far worse than being separated from a parent. And so Paul, Paul here says, look, you can be in Adam or you can be in Christ. If you're in Christ, then, then you get grace. You get grace. And then he says that you get the gift it's really, it's really interesting because he says the gift a lot of times in this paragraph. And if you, if you watch next week, if, you, if, you, if you're part of the sermon next week, you're going to see the gift just be said like several different times. And yet it's really hard to know exactly what Paul means by the gift. Now look, a lot of it's hair splitting, but like what is, this was the question. This was what I spent the most time in my sermon studying this week. Like what is the gift that Paul is talking about. Now listen, this is some background here. This is, I think this is important. In verse 17, Paul connects the gift to righteousness. And surely that has to be a part of it. He, he contrasts it though, interestingly, with the trespass, which is actually linked to Jesus. Keep that in mind. Uh, 
In verse 16, he says the gift leads to righteousness. So it's weird that he calls the gift righteousness and then says that it leads to righteousness. In Romans 6, 23, he uses the same word and he connects it to eternal life. And he says the gift is eternal life. As I read different people who wrote commentaries on this, I saw that the gift is is grace or salvation or a right relationship with God. There's all of these opinions. And I got to the end of it and I thought, what in the world is the gift? But, but I think the hint is what I already said. In verse 17, you'll see this contrast between, between the trespass and the gift. And really what I think it comes down to is this. The gift is Jesus, but it's not just Jesus. It is Jesus and everything that he offers to those who embrace him as their Savior. And I thought it, you know, it hit here like the gift, right? And as I said at the beginning, we're thinking about gifts all of the time these days. But ultimately, uh, you know, we have this manger was in the back. We don't own our own manger. We're sitting on stuff. I don't know where to put this, but I'll move this manger over here. Now, I think if Mary and Joseph would have put Jesus in this manger, it probably would have been uh, they would have had the authorities called because it's, it's not very safe, but uh, hopefully it's a little more solid than this one. Uh, but but I thought about the manger this week, and this is a common image, right? Like Chad's not up here making anything new up, but but the manger as is like the package for the ultimate gift. And and as Paul, you know, in this very heavy, deep theological kind of moment in the Book of Romans, that's very very hard to understand. Trust me. He's really saying exactly what we always talk about at Christmas, and that is the baby who laid in the manger named Jesus, born of a virgin, sinless, perfect baby that laid in that manger. That is the gift that God is offering to you. But it isn't like, and this is where we can be, you know, we can really miss at Christmas. We think about the gift laying in that manger, and we we don't really think about how Jesus truly is the gift that keeps on giving. Now, I, I looked this up. You might not care about this at all, but maybe you'll find it interesting if you're a history person. I looked that phrase up, the gift that keeps on giving this week. It popped into my head as I was sermon, uh, as I was making the sermon, you know, and it's interesting because, uh, you know, this is how it's defined. If you, you know, were born in a barn like Jesus and you, you've never heard that phrase, the gift that keeps on giving is meant to Uh, continually invoke the feelings people get when they receive a present and implies that any present that gives enjoyment over and over, such as a radio camera or magazine subscription, would be a better gift than, you know, one that provides a feeling just for a minute, like flowers. I've never understood flowers, so I really understood that, right? Like, oh, thanks, it's going to die in a week. Um, I I know I'm alone maybe in that, but but that's how I feel about getting flowers. So that's that's how, you know, the internet defines the gift that keeps on giving. And, and, And I went back and I was like, where did this phrase even come from? And the first known use of it was for a radio, like a you know, stand-up radio, like a lot of years ago, almost 100 years ago now. And this is the commercial. It says, when you go to your Victor dealers, Victor was a radio company apparently. When you go to your Victor dealers to hear the three models of Victor radio, you will find them beautiful, compact, and soundly built as, Vic- as become Victor instruments. You will recognize them as the gift that keeps on giving a royal gift at a very low price. And I thought, I just, I like that background. Maybe it doesn't matter to you. 
But I like the idea of, of Jesus. As a, first of all, I like that it's a royal gift. And it's a gift that really costs you uh, nothing in comparison to what it costs him. But, but I think we can just leave Jesus in his manger. And, and when we celebrate at Christmas the gift, we're, we celebrate almost almost the wrapping paper of the gift, right? Like we're celebrating, you know, it's cool God would come and be born in a barn and, you know, lay in his feeding trough. Uh, it's really amazing that he was born to a virgin. Wow, what a trek that they took on their, you know, their donkey across the land to get to Bethlehem. And we think about, we think about the shepherds and the angels showing up and we think about how they came and we're so excited and we, we think about the wise men even though they came, you know, probably years later, but we think about them at Christmas and, and how they, they showed up with their, their gifts, right? And, and really, in my mind, we're, we're in fact, we're really focused on and we're really celebrating far too often the packaging of the gift and not the gift itself, which was the baby that laid in that manger. And we celebrate the gift not just because he came to earth and that we can be in Christ instead of in Adam, but we celebrate it because that it is truly, Jesus is truly the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, he, he gives so much to us. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And we know, as Christians, if you're a Christian, you know that this baby that laid in the manger, he grew up, and then he died on a cross. And I don't love making Christmas sermons about what Jesus did on the cross, but, but we can't separate this and that. It's impossible to do because this baby, the gift, he was the gift when he was the born, but he was also the gift when he died. And because he willingly died on a cross for our sins, it means that he becomes the gift that keeps on giving. We continue to benefit from what he has done for us every single day of our lives if we move from being in Adam to being in Christ. If we move from being in Adam to being in Christ. In fact, Paul says that this gift that is Jesus, it overflows to many. And you ask the question, who are the many that this gift overflows to? And it's everybody who says, I believe that this baby, Jesus, is the savior of the world, that he died for my sins, and so I'm going to leave being in Adam, I'm going to place my faith in Jesus, and I'm going to switch spheres, I'm going to be in Christ, and when we become a person in Christ, not only, not only do we not have to be held down by sin and death anymore, but man, we benefit so greatly on a daily basis, I mean, we, man, I've been more keenly aware of this over the last nine months than I ever have been in my life. I have no clue how I would be doing anything uh, except being depressed right now if it wasn't for Jesus. I think about the promises that come from being in Christ, that God will never leave or forsake us, that that we can know that God is working all things for our good, that we know that our, our, in our weakness, God's power is made perfect, that we know that we can have joy that goes beyond circumstances, that there is hope for eternity, even as we you know, are surrounded by the talk of death. We have hope for an eternity where there will be no more death or fear or crying or pain or suffering or any of that stuff. It, look, this, this baby who was born is the gift that keeps on giving because what he did, when he was born did not stop it has not stopped for any who will have his grace abound unto them through placing their faith in him and moving from in Adam to in Christ
And so here's, I mean, I know it's so cliche. Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. But I hope in my, just in being cliche, that this morning you will hear what Paul is trying to say to you. And that is that, that there has never been a greater gift given because this gift, it changes everything for those who will receive it and allow for it to overflow into their lives. I like what one author says. He says, what we have lost in Adam, we have gained in Christ. And man, that makes Jesus the gift that keeps on giving, right? Think of everything bad that you don't like. Think of all of it. Everything that you deem as evil or hurtful or broken in this world. And Jesus was born of a virgin and laid in a manger in order that all of that could be overcome. There is no greater gift than Jesus. Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. And and I hope two things for you as I finish this morning. One, if you've never received that gift, then you need to receive the gift. I don't know how I would be doing as I mentioned, but man, I know that if you're apart from Christ that you don't have the hope that you desire, the love that you desire, the joy that you desire, all these things that we celebrate during Advent. You don't have them And you can have them. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus and accept the gift that is him and all that he offers. But for those of us, those of us who are Christians, again, I I hate to sound cliche, but I'm gonna do it. As you move towards Christmas this week, I don't know where you're at. I mean, I know this is a hard, this is just a hard Christmas. It's weird. This is the first time in my entire life that I won't be celebrating at my grandma and grandpa's house, uh, you know, basically in the same way. For the last 37 years, it's been exactly the same, and I love that. That's a compliment. Uh, I, I love that. Can't do it this year. And there's a big part of me that, that feels like mourning. You know, like I'm sad by, by what's transpiring, what I'll live like this week. Uh, but that's so short-sighted considering that Jesus came so that I can have you know, so much. And, and so my hope for those of us who are Christians, who have, you know, who have felt the grace of God, who have allowed for God's gift to overflow into our lives, my hope is that we will really and truly remember this week how incredible of a gift Jesus is. And if you don't have the money to buy gifts this year, who cares? And if you, if you are struggling because you won't be able to see the people that you normally exchange gifts with, who cares? Because Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving, and that is always worth celebrating.